careful, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you walk. Paul is telling us in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5, if you want to look. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, drop down to verse number 15. Notice what he says, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understanding what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, for it leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord always giving thanks to God, Father, for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I thought this morning about the subject. I thought of all that we go on. You know, we need, in this world, we need to be careful. As Christians, even as non-Christians, on how we... Scripture said how we live, but he's also talking about how we walk. Kind of reminds me of the businessman, you know, that was very executive, that was very uh, successful, required a lot of traveling. And so he decided that he would take flying lessons. And when he acquired the fire, learned how to fly the airplane, he, he rented one, and then he decided he would just buy one. So he bought a plane, and he would fly, save them a lot of time, and a lot of, uh, give them a lot more hours at home, being able to get there quick and back. And after doing that for a few years, he decided that he had a summer home on the lake. And so he would buy himself a pontoon boat, a pontoon plane. And so the first flight out on that pontoon plane, he flew up. He and his wife, they were wonderful, great time and great weekend. And as he came down the land, he came to the airstrip and he began to drop down. And all of a sudden, his wife noticed what was going on, and she said, you're not on the water. No, 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 don't land, don't land. you got pontoons, you don't have wheels. And so he jerked the plane and flew it back up and come over, and he finally came to the lake, and he had a successful landing. When he finally landed on the lake, he began to say, I don't know what in the world got into me. I just wasn't thinking. I mean, I, I've never, this is the most stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. He was frustrated with himself. Then he opened the door and he stepped out on the water. <laughs> Haven't we all been that way? I don't know about you, but I, I think it happens to all of us. Our minds operate sometimes like that. You know, some people have it all together. Some people can just do everything just so-so. Then there's others like us, <laughs> like the rest of us, who uh, seem to always absent-mindedly step out on the lake. Actually, if you're absent-minded, though, I was reading about this. If you're really absent-minded, uh, you know, pat yourself on the back. Because when you're absent-minded, it means that you're thinking and preoccupied with greater thoughts. At least I hope so. You know, and the reason I believe that is because it was said that Albert Einstein was so absent-minded 
that Einstein received a check for $15,000 from the Rockefeller Foundation. He put it in a book as a bookmarker and carried it around until he lost the book. So whenever you misplaced your keys or uh, misplaced the, you know, uh, your glasses for the hundredth time, just think, you're all right. You're as good as Albert Einstein was. You know, I thought about that. Paul wasn't addressing his remarks to the absent-minded, though. In the text today, he said, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise men and women, but making the most of the times because the days are evil. What does it mean, be careful how you walk? I... uh, I listened to a story not long ago about a young, young fellow that, uh, well, successful, bought himself a nice sports car, and he came to, over to Walmart, and he was looking for a parking space. And as he whipped down and made that left turn, there was a car with his backup lights on ready to pull out. But sitting on the other side was a, an older lady in an old Rolls Royce, and she was waiting for that same spot. And as, as, as the guy backed out, Immediately, this fella in this young sports car zipped around her and parked in that spot. He got out of the car and he turned to her and he said, When you're young and quick, you can make it. Well, it made her mad. And so she sat there and waited until he would come out of Walmart. Just as she saw him coming out of the door, she put that Rolls Royce in gear and she put the metal to the foot to the pedal. I mean, she hit that sports car, backed up and hit it again, backed up and hit it again, and he's hollering, woman, what in the world is wrong with you? Why are you doing this to my sports car? She said, when you're old and rich, you can do what you want. Well, you see, be careful how you walk, because you see, attitude has a lot to do with it. Now, I... Last week, we were here visiting. Last Tuesday, wasn't it? Tuesday. Anyway, we were, we were coming across some of the area and, and coming from a visit. And uh, as I was traveling down the road, I, I stopped at a stop sign. And uh, as I was st- sitting there at the stop sign, there was a car wanting to make a turn. And so I waited to let him make a left. But the lady behind me didn't think they ought to make that left, and so she laid on her horn. And uh, so I pulled out, and I kept driving down the road, and the speed limit said 40 mile an hour. So I was trying to stay at 40 mile an hour, and every little bit she'd be blowing that horn. And then when we got down to the end of the street where there was a street turning to the left, she laid on that horn and swirled down that street. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if I were to walk into church on Sunday and sit down beside her? Now, she's not here. Okay. I don't want any of you to feel guilty. <laughs> she's not here. But I thought about that. Uh, we need to watch how we live. We need to watch how we talk and how we do things. And so the first thing he says in this scripture, he writes, Wherefore, do not be foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk on wine, and I might add to that beer and whiskey and drugs. 
Because in the end, my friend, it's debauchery. He will get you in big trouble. And so what, what is he saying here is, in, in, in Swarver language, he's saying, use your head. No matter how old or how young you are, use your head. Think about what you're doing. In other words, use your head. Don't do anything stupid. The problem that we have today, there are so many people that can't get this thing out of their hands. Remember what you put on Facebook. Remember what you put out there, my friend. It's going to reflect back on you at some point in your life. And so we need to think about what we're... Don't follow up your life. I know I sound like a nagging parent. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm more concerned, my friend, as a concern. And I thought about this. You know, we need to be praying for our country. But you know what? I don't know who's guilty and who's not guilty. But I want to tell you one thing. That there are a lot of things that goes on in colleges, campuses, that shouldn't go on. And if they wouldn't have went on, you wouldn't be in the situation you are now. You see, there's things that happens. I know of a young man, as a young, just a young preacher, that just didn't control his temperament. He didn't control his attitude. And so he spouts off and he makes people angry and he don't care at that point. But 15 years later, he wants a promotion. He wants a job. And people remember what he was back then. You see, we need to learn how we walk. Watch how we walk. Watch what we do when we walk this way. You see, there are all kinds of foolishness Some kinds it can be avoided and some can't. There's a kind of foolishness, my friend, that that is avoidable. There's a lot of them. It consists of the little stupid things that people do in their lives. The little things that you do, the attitude, the smirkiness, the words, the actions, the foolish things. I thought of a young man that I knew that uh, went through all the... Uh, the the work to, to become uh, a part of a law officer, to become a sh- on the sheriff's department. And, and this young man had, had worked hard at this, and he, he wanted to be that way. It was all of his goal, all of his life. And then when he gets on the sheriff's department in a, in a, a time of a 90-day weary, weary waiting period, he gets so excited about being able to dress in that uniform and carry that gun. Until he began to ramble that gun around and begin to brag to people and saying, you know what, I've got this gun and I've got authority over you and I could do things. And, and somebody didn't take it right. And somebody reported him. And today he's not on the sheriff's department. You see, what I'm talking about is we need to be careful how we do what we do in life. It always reflects back and will affect us at some point in our lives when we least expect it. You know, bad attitudes can do that. We ought to learn our lesson from the Goodyear blimp, Columbia. This giant blimp. I know they're over there near where I live, and I drive down that road once in a while. I see them big places where they have them. I see them pull them out every once in a while and put the helium to them and get them in the air. But you know what? That blimp, the, the blimp that was flying, the Columbia, 192 feet long, was damaged and punctured by a little controlled airplane that run into that blimp. Now, it didn't 
it didn't knock the blimp out of the sky. It, it, didn't, it didn't make it so that it wouldn't work anymore. But you know, it punctured a little tiny hole in it. And every so often they would have to bring it down and they would have to add more helium to it until they could get it back to Akron, Ohio and repair it. You see, it was a little thing. And I think about people today. There's a lot of people that are like that blimp. They have just a little flaw. They have that little pinhole. They have that little attitude. They have that little smirkiness about them that sometimes, my friend, causes them to just limp along. Their testimony is affected by it. People listen to what they say and say, well, I know them. I know how they live. I know what they do. You see, sometimes we have to realize that when that happens, that we people, I know people like that. Some of them are limping along. They have holes, tiny holes in their life. And they're trying to ignore them. They're trying to pretend like it never happened or it's not there. But the fact of the matter it is. And until you take care of it, my friend, until you get a patch in it. Last weekend I was away. My truck sat in the driveway. My son-in-law and one of the grandkids felt sorry for Grandpa and they're going to cut my grass. They come to cut my grass and had to move my truck. And when they moved my truck, my son-in-law left a note said, when you look at your rear tire on your truck, there's a nail or a screw or something there. He said, it's right on top. You'll be able to see it when you look at it. Now, you know what? I didn't get a flat tire from that. But when I took it down to the tire shop, he sprayed a little bit of soap on it or whatever was in that thing, and pretty soon I'm standing there talking to him. And he said, yeah, it may, may not be much. He said, it may, may be able to pull it right out and never do anything. But let me spray it. He sprayed it, and we stood there and talked, and I looked, and I didn't see anything. He didn't see anything. But it took, a, it took at least a minute and a half, and all of a sudden there was a little tiny bit of bubble. He said, we'll have to take it off and fix it. You know what? I could have left that alone. And I could have drove down here next Tuesday in that pickup truck because I'm going to pick up my lawnmower. And, I, and you know what could have happened? Beverly might have had to change a flat tire on the road. <laughs> you see, I had to take care of that little tiny bubble in that tire so that I would feel safe in driving it. Now let me tell you something. There's some folks that have that little bubble that little, just that one little thing that keeps them from being all that God wants them to be. And that's a shame. Because the Bible says that we need to take care of those things. I thought of this this morning, of this, this week of hope. Some are kind of thinking differently. I don't know whether some of you have ever heard and listened to Don Imus or not. Don Imus was a radio announcer out of New York City, probably one of the most popular years ago. Imus tells a story about being a radio personality. He spoke at a school's drug awareness day. Don was very straightforward with those students. And he simply said, I was an alcoholic and a drug addict. Don lost his job, the job that he worked for, the job that he dreamed about getting. And one of the largest radio stations in New York City, with prime time, he lost that job because of alcohol and drugs. And he tells a story about how that took place. 
He said he was in his New York office drinking scots and doing coke. He related to his father's drinking and, and his father whom, who died an alcoholic, who died a drunk. He said when my dad died, there was a total... He, he spent everything he had in everything we owned. He said there was $13 left when my dad died. I swore I would never, never, never be like my dad. But I was wrong. He said, because I begin to socialize. I begin to think a beer here, a little shot of whiskey there. I begin to think about a little bit of drug here, a little bit of drug there. Won't hurt anybody. Just, just so that I can be with the rest of the crowd. And little did he know that within a short period of time, it's his testimony, not mine, his testimony that three to $4,000 a week was being spent on drugs and alcohol and cocaine. He lost his job. He had a friend that came to the office one day while he was sitting there in a stupor and, and, and saying, I can't believe that I've done this. I can't believe this. I've let this happen to me in my life. I said it would never happen, but it has. And the friend began to say, it's time for you to realize for yourself. Nobody else can tell you that. You need to realize you've got an alcohol problem and you've got a drug problem. And if you want out of it, you've got to do something about it. And he said, for the first time, a Christian young man began to talk to him and begin to share with him. And he said, he counseled me and he helped me. He took me to a pastor. He took me to a hope group. He took me to a, a church place. He said, where they begin to talk about these things and begin to talk about what the Lord could do. And he said, finally, I came to a church that finally prayed me free of drugs. Now, let me tell you something, my friend. You've got to admit that there's a problem. Don't be foolish like this man was. Not everybody who abuses drugs and alcohol are that fortunate. Not all of them are that fortunate. Let me, let me tell you something. I know of a young man that grew up in the church of God. His daddy's one of my best friends. And I'll never forget going back and hearing the brokenness on the phone when he said, Chad, Chad is gone, Brother Swagger. Chad's gone! Chad grew up in a Church of God youth group. Went to youth conventions. But you know, he got out there in the world. He got out there and got a job, a good job, with a power company. He got more money than he knew what to do with. He was transferred away from where his friends was. And he began to follow with the wrong crowd. And he began to drink. One won't matter. One won't matter. One won't matter. I don't know how many times I looked at the notes that Butch gave me from his son who said, Dad, I know I'm sick and I don't like it and I want to get right with God, but I can't do it. About a year ago, I got a call. Chad was in the Nashville hospital. Very serious. His dad and his mom took off for Nashville. They spent the next two days with him. His dad said, I, I crawled right up in the bed with him. I held his head. I prayed, oh God, you've got to help Chad. But Chad didn't make it. The alcohol had taken total control of his life. Now, had Chad not got with that crowd, had he been wise enough to say no, had he been smart enough to say, I don't need to experiment with that. I don't need to be a part of that. He might still be living today. My friend, we don't know. 
When I hear people talk about social drinking, let me tell you something. It's just not the preaching in me. You don't know, my friend, that the first drink may lead you to alcoholism. You don't know that the first time you try a drug that you won't be hooked instantly. That's the reason why you need to stay away from it. That's the reason why we need to be talking more in the church about this instead of saying, oh, well, it's okay. I hear people argue all the time that don't know the Scripture, has never studied wine in the Bible, that keeps telling me, oh, a little wine won't hurt you. Let me tell you something. The wine that they were talking about was for your stomach. It was not fermented wine. You see, drinking alcohol of any kind is not Christian. You might not like that. But I'm telling you, because I don't want you to lose your soul, I don't want you to lose your life. But you see, the problem is, is that we have it. And so Paul goes on to say, don't be foolish. Be careful how you walk. Use your head. Then there's a second thing. I want to get off of that because I could go on all day on that. Then he says in verse 19, we are to open our hearts. Be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making a melody unto the Lord with your heart. That sounds to me like a description of the early church at its highest. That sounds to me like the church gathering in each other's home, rejoicing in their faith, sharing the things they have in common. And the early church experienced God's Spirit and power and fellowship when God was really in their lives, when they opened their hearts to His Spirit. Now let me tell you something, my friend. One of the greatest things we need to, instead of arguing about what we can get away with, I would love to see a time in the church when we would come to the place where we opened our hearts, not to all this junk out here, but opened our hearts and our lives and said, Holy Spirit, fill me from the top to the bottom. Fill me with Your presence. Fill me with Your love. Fill me with with all that You have to offer, Lord. That's the kind of love that was in the New Testament church. That's the kind of love, my friend, that Jesus would love for us to experience today. That little blue sheet that's in your... I, I didn't know nothing about this. But that little blue sheet that's in your, in your bulletin this morning goes along with exactly what I believe. When the church is really the church, we are visiting in one another's homes. When we are the church, we are visiting those that are less fortunate, those that have been here, that helped establish this place, that helped pay for this place. Those, my friend, that needs that encouragement. When we are breaking bread together, there's more, there's more to breaking bread. I'm telling you that, that we have won and have, have more influence in people around the table than we ever have in this pulpit. Because you see, you learn where people are, you were, where they live, and you fellowship and you break bread together, and we worship and study and sing and with one accord. Life cannot beat you down when you are joined together like that. You see, when you talk to people, you know what's going on in their life. You know, you hear people all the time say, well, what's going on? You know, what's going on in your life? Let me tell you something. We ought to know what's going on in one another's lives. My kids were growing up, and they came in the house, and they were discouraged. Let me tell you something. Mom knew immediately what was going on in their life. There's something going on. Let's talk about it. There's something that's bothering you. Let's talk about it. Let me tell you something. In the family of God, we need to lift one another up. 
When someone's hurting, we need to hurt with them. When someone rejoices and something great happens, we ought, to, we ought to sing the praises for it when God does something wonderful. You see, that's what the church is all about. And that's what Paul was talking about. Life cannot beat us down when we're joined like that. Sin cannot mar our lives. Despair cannot take up residence in our hearts. Be careful how you walk. Use your head. Open your hearts. And not only that, but you know, open ourselves to one another. Let them know that we really care. And then Paul says in verse 20, Paul says that we are to lift our hands in thanksgiving. Always, for everything, give thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. You know, that's the greatest secret to life is to develop an attitude of gratitude. I mean, to be thankful, really be thankful. I I thought about this, you know, I read from a pastor talking about this thing of gratitude. He tells about the story of a man by the, uh, by the name of Ralph Kelly. Ralph Kelly was one of his parishioners. He said Ralph was a, was a Purdue graduate. He was a very energetic guy. He was a great businessman. He was a good counselor to people that needed counsel. He was a friend that was bubbling with energy all the time. And the description the pastor tells about Ralph was amazing. He said, you know why? Because Ralph gave thanks for everything. He said, you know what? When Ralph would go to write a note, he had his, he had his little ledger out and he'd have a lead pencil. Always use a lead pencil. I don't know about you. I still use lead pencils because you know what? I need the eraser. <laughs> But you know what he tells about? He said, you know, Ralph would be taking something on a ledger and his pencil would drop to the floor. You know what he'd do the first thing? Not reach down and pick it up. He'd thank the Lord for gravity. He said, because you know what? If there wasn't for gravity, the pencil would have gone where I could have never reached it again. It'd just disappear. You ever think about that? He said, then he, he said, you know, he thought about that pencil and he said, he thanked the Lord you know, for, for the lead that was in it. And then he said he thanked the Lord for trees because without that there would be no wood around it. And then he said he thanked the Lord for chemistry that created the eraser that was on the top of it. There's a crown because, you see, we all need an eraser in our life. We all have times when we say things we need to erase. We do things we need to erase. He said this is the way this guy lived. He said no matter what he did, if he had a flat tire out on the highway, he'd find a place to get off, and the first thing he'd do, he'd thank God for a wide spot in the road where he could get out and change that tire. And then he might thank the Lord that he only had one flat instead of two or three. You ever been on the road and had more than one tire go flat? I did. I was pastoring up in... Part of Ohio, up north from here, I'm going to tell you something. I was coming out of Dayton one day in that little old Ford, and I was coming up that interstate. It was late in the evening, and there was traffic everywhere. And there came a big piece of iron slipped off the back of a truck. And there was nowhere to go. There was a semi here and a semi there, and everybody else was trying to get around. And everybody hit that thing, threw it over. And you know what? I got both front tires and then the rear tire. Fortunately, there was somebody that was generous enough to stop and see if I was okay. I said, I'm okay. I got a spare. He said, I think you need more than one. (laughs) 
And he did. He took me to a service station and then brought me back where the guy said, I, can't, I don't have that tire, but he said I could fix it if the wheel wasn't bent. And another fellow, a young fellow, I like that because there's two young fellows. And the other young fellow said, I, I believe I can make that seal. He took a big old sledgehammer and he began to beat on that wheel. And he got it. They aired it up two or three times. Finally got it going. And I hobbled my way home, 35 mile an hour, to get home. Well, you see, when Ralph had that, he thanked God that he only had one. Then he might thank the Lord that, you know, it's been a long day and driven a long time and did a lot of driving. I did this last week. And you know what? To get out of that car. You know, when I got out, you'd have thought I was 95 years old when I got out to get a little gas or get a, you know what? He would thank the Lord that he got out of the car and got a little exercise. You know, that was Ralph. Now, I know a lot of you think, well, that, he, that guy's crazy. He's a fanatic. But let me ask you. Let me ask you something. What would make the difference? Why not be thankful when things happen? And they will happen. If you hadn't, it, it will. <laughs> if you haven't had nothing to happen that, that's kind of disappointed you and make you upset, let me tell you, it'll happen. It did with him and it will with you and it has with me. But I'm going to tell you something. Whenever, whenever we think about that, think about this. When, what, what's the alternative when something happens? Do you just... When it happens and you, it's in the mid, it never happens when it's convenient. It never happens when, when you don't have a, a, a goal or a dateline or a, an appointment that you have to make. It never happens when you're just out joyriding. It always happens when you have to be somewhere. But what, what's the difference, my friend, when you, when you just raise your blood pressure and, and a few degrees by cursing your luck? Or, or do you at that time, uh, you know, I thought about this, do you, do you let it all bottle up within you until you have a cardiac arrest? Do you, do you let it hold on to the place to where it raises your blood pressure? And, and when it does, you make everybody else miserable about, about, around you? Or do you just say, Lord, I don't know what happened, but I thank you that I'm still alive and I'm still safe. You see, sometimes we need to learn some things from life. How good it is. Wouldn't it be better to do as Ralph did and, and what Paul talks about? Give thanks in all things. Now, I have to admit, it's not always easy. And, and at the moment, it may not be something you're really thankful for, but the more you think about it, the more you're thankful for it. You know, I could tell you dozens and dozens of things that have happened in my life that at the moment that it happened, it didn't seem like the right timing and the right place, and, and the Lord didn't know what He was doing. But you know what? I found out that the longer that I lived and the more that I looked at that and the more I prayed about it, the more thankful I was that God allowed me to go through that because now I can tell you, when you have a problem, how I got through it and how you can get through it. I love visiting people who have gone through trials and gone through difficulties. Some of the greatest knowledge that I've ever learned have been people who have gone through the Great Depression, and there's so few of them anymore. But you know what? They tell you things of how they worked and how it's done, and I begin to think, how in the world did they ever do that? You know how they did it? They just said, well, you know, the Lord said He would never put more on me than I'm able to bear. He'll never put me in a position that He won't be right there with me. So I begin to think of how we need to walk.
Today, we need to be walking as Ralph walked. You and I would live longer if we did. We would enjoy life more. And that's the reason why it's good advice. Be careful. Young people, be careful. Let me say to you this morning, be careful. Because you see, when, when you go off to high school, what you do in high school will carry on, my friend, down the road of your life. What they do in college, you know what? You have all these parties that goes on. All these things that happen. And people say, well, that's just part of being kids. Let me tell you something. In that same college where there's going to be a beer party, there is a Bible study. There, there's going to be those prayer meetings on that campus. Now, they may not be as popular as the other. And I'll tell you one thing, you won't have to worry when you wake up the next morning where you were last night or what happened or what's going to transpire five years down the road when I get out of this school and begin to look for that quality job. You see, we need to be careful. Young people today are too promiscuous. We see too much. It's no wonder with the way that the, that the world is and the advertising and the television is and the movies are. But my friend, you need to be careful as a young person. That's the reason why the Bible teaches that we need to be careful, both men and women, boys and girls, and hold yourself for that special one that God has for you, and you'll never have any regrets. You see, a good life is a life that is conscious on how we walk. How we walk. You know what I used to tell my sons? Don't ever date a girl you wouldn't be willing to marry. I'm serious. Don't ever date. Why set them up for something that they think they're going to get and that you're not the person that they want? Through the years in ministry, I've always watched. I've done my best. And you know what? I wish some of my... Colleagues would have done the same thing because I've some that have really fallen. That you know, and the devil never takes the weak one; he takes the best. Some of our best guys, one moment, one act, one time, when the devil slipped in, and their whole ministry was gone. Watch how you walk. People will remember who you are. People will remember how you lived. They'll remember how you responded. And so I say to the church today, even as a church, we need to watch ourselves. You know this whole community is looking at this church. Everybody that goes to the website that looks at the church that says, Mars Mills looking for a spiritual leader. They begin to look at the church. They want to know who you are, what you have to offer, what, what you can do working together to make the kingdom greater in this community. I believe you got it. But we need to keep ourselves conscious of it. We need to constantly be watching ourselves and what we do and how we react and what, what takes place in our lives. Because that's what the Bible says. Watch how you live. Watch what you watch. Watch what you hear. Watch what you say. And more than that, watch what you pray for. 
And sometimes when we really pray, when we really pray, you know what? Sometimes God puts us to the test and says, all right, let's see if you can really go through this or not. Job did that. He had a hard time, but he got through it. The same is true with us. So I say to you this morning as a caution, watch how you walk. Watch what you say. Watch what you do. Watch all your actions. And I'm going to tell you something. When you do, when you do, you will be able to have the joy in your heart that no matter what the problem or no matter where you are, that you can sing the hymns and enjoy the blessings and thank God and go through life with joy and a smile and happiness because you know that you're where God wants you to be. Church, how are you walking today? Are you walking in faith? Are you walking in truth? Are you allowed yourself to be exposed to the Holy Spirit? That ought to be our prayer. Fill me so much, Lord, that no matter what I do, that people will see Jesus and see the motive behind it of that of helping someone. It's less fortunate. Our hope is in Christ today. Maybe you need to walk and say, God, help me. Help me do you better. Help me to believe more. Help me to trust more. He'll do it right here for you today if you'll let him. Let's stand together. Father, you know the hearts and the lives of your people. You know what they've gone through and what they are going through. And Lord, we pray right now that you would just speak to hearts and lives. Lord, help us. Help us to be aware of what we're facing in this world. That the devil is alive and well and he's here to destroy every one of us if we don't keep our heads up and keep our faith and keep our looking into you and looking for your power and your presence to help us through these times. Father, speak to hearts and lives here today. Maybe someone, Lord, today needs to walk a little closer to you. And Lord, let them do that this very day as we sing this song. In Jesus' name we pray. If you please take your hymnals and turn to page 590. 590.
touch me.